Rivers Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. It is a pleasure to be with you here this morning as we continue our sermon series, Hebrews, Jesus, the perfect priest, the superior sacrifice. And like we've been saying as we go through the book of Hebrews, one of the most encouraging things for me, if I can reflect back on some of the early years when the gospel first started to resonate with me, when I first started to truly understand the good news of Jesus, not that I have it all down pat now, I do not feel like I'm still learning more and more each and every day about who Jesus is. But the one thing that really resonated with me was this, and the one thing that we have been saying consistently, and the one thing that we always need to keep in mind, and that thought is this. Actually, it's not a thought, it's truth. All roads in the Bible point to Jesus, a.k.a. all verses in the Bible lead to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we gather together this morning to worship you, and now we turn our attention to worshiping you through the proclamation of your word. I pray that we allow your spirit to guide us in the understanding of what it is that you have for us here this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the Olympics just finished recently. You're looking at a picture of Eric Liddell. Eric is actually from Scotland, and he competed in the 1924 Olympics. But Eric led a very interesting life. Not just that he was an Olympian, but during that time, during these Olympics, he refused to race during any trial that was held on a Sunday to honor the Lord. Now, even though he refused to race in any of the trials that were held on Sunday, he was still able to win the gold medal and go home back to Scotland as a hero. But he didn't just ride off into the sunset like most our athletes would do because, let's face it, you win a gold medal, then you get some endorsement deals, and you kind of have it made from then on out. I think Mary Lou Redden, who was a gymnast when I was a kid back in the 80s, she's still receiving endorsement deals making money from her feats in the Olympics back in the 80s. But not Eric Liddell. No, 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 no. See, he came home to a hero's welcome, but then he decided, I'm going to China with purpose. See, he went to China. He first started off as a teacher, so he taught while he was there. But his ultimate goal was to be a missionary. Now, this was before World War II. World War II begins, and for some of us who are history buffs, we would know this, but some of us do not. Japan invaded China and took over China. And Eric Liddell, being a foreigner, he was actually put into a prisoner of war camp. So not only did he serve the Lord as being a missionary in China, but that didn't just stop him when the Japanese came and invaded China. He wasn't done yet. He was still going to continue to serve the Lord even though he was in a camp. And what he did was he met all the physical needs of those that were locked down, and he met their spiritual needs. He 
would orchestrate physical events to keep physical activities going, but they would also host opportunities to study God's word. So he was meeting both needs. Brothers and and sisters, I, I think it's safe to say that Eric Liddell for us is a great example Now, most people would say when when life gives you lemon, what do you do with that? You make lemonade, right? Well, Eric Liddell actually took all his circumstances, no matter what it was, whether he was at the top of his game at the 24 Olympics, or he was in a prisoner of war camp in a country that wasn't his own. No matter what it is that he was doing, he looked for opportunities to serve the Lord. He consistently organized his life around serving Christ's church. This is a great example for us to be reminded then through what we see from Liddell in Moses. Now you see the quote on your screen We can read that really quick because this is what he actually said about serving. He says, circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plans, but God is not helpless among the ruins. God's love is still working. He comes in and takes the calamity and uses it victoriously, working out his wonderful plan of love. That's how he consistently organized his life around serving the Lord. But as we've already said, this should remind us of Moses, because after all, the first 40 years of Moses found him in the bulrushes in a basket. He went from there to becoming the Hebrew Egyptian prince because he was adopted because Pharaoh's daughter found him in that basket. But then we fast forward to the second 40 years of Moses. When he had to go to Pharaoh and say, let God's people go, he went through the plagues. He led his people after the Passover. He parted the Red Sea. Those last 40 years of Moses led to the Israelites wondering. It led to him receiving the Ten Commandments, to him building the tabernacle. We've been studying Exodus numbers lately in our Sunday school hour. We understand what Moses went through. He, too, consistently organized his life around serving the Lord. Though we should follow the example of of Moses and the example of Eric Liddell, I, I believe it's actually important that we ultimately understand that we're only following the example that Jesus set first. Moses was a foreshadow of what was to come in Christ. Liddell is an example for us on the other side of the cross to see how it is that we can take advantage of the opportunities that we're receiving right now to serve the Lord. And as he says, circumstances may appear to wreck our lives in God's plans, but God is not helpless among the ruins, is he? And he wants to use us to bring that message to the world. And this is why we're titling our sermon this morning that Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus, greater 
than Moses. We're going to be in Hebrews like we stated starting in, in chapter, chapter 3 this Sunday. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. Last week we were encouraged to know that actually Jesus knows. That was a comforting thing for us to realize. We, we learned and we were encouraged that Jesus knows temptation, Jesus knows suffering, and Jesus ultimately knows sacrifice. We were comforted to know that he knows suffering and is able to help those who actually suffer. Today we're going to recognize the greatness of Moses while being confident in Jesus who is actually greater. So without any more being said, let's go straight to God's word in Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and are boasting in our hope. Amen. Six verses we just read. One sentence. That one sentence is this. Jesus is greater than Moses because he serves over God's entire house. We can say that Jesus is greater than Moses because we know that only Jesus is the one who serves over God's whole entire house. Well, here's your unofficial invitation. I guarantee you the official invitation will be much fancier than your unofficial invitation that you're receiving now. But this is for those of you who know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you are invited to God's kingdom. Congratulations. According to verse 1, this is called a heavenly calling which we see right here. But we first start off with the therefore, and like we've always said, we ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? See, the therefore is there because we've already established prior to, all the way from Hebrews 1 up until the beginning of chapter 3, it's already been established that Jesus is greater than the prophets. It's been established that Jesus is greater than the angels. We can't forget the angels are currently ruling this world, but it's temporary. It is a temporary rule. And we know that this is true because Satan is the highest ranking angel and he is the one who is currently in charge of this world. But it's only because God has allowed him to for a very, very, very short, selective time. Because when we compare time to eternity, it is really not that long at all. But notice where it says, holy brothers. 
This is dedicated to the Hebrews because the title of this letter is Hebrews. But when we see holy brothers, we know that this is actually talking to us who are saved. Those who have a saving faith, those who know Jesus are holy brothers or holy sisters. See, holy in salvation, but not holy in life. And we got to keep those two separated. You're holy if you have faith in Jesus as it pertains to your salvation. You're just not perfect and holy as it pertains to how you behave right now. We're still sinful, aren't we? We are not without sin. But God sees us as that completed version of ourselves so we can be called holy in the eyes of the Lord because of the work of Jesus, because of our repentance, because of our turning away from our sin and turning back towards God because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, holy and being set apart is also true, and that's part of what would be known as sanctification, that being set apart, we're being set apart as holy brothers from this evil world. This evil world that's being run and ruled by angels, who chief among them is Satan. Again, he is titled the prince of the power of the air. And this is his domain right here, right now. In fact, the reason why you're sitting here this morning listening to God's word being proclaimed, the reason why we stood in worship and sang songs worshiping the Lord is because of that very truth. Because this word right here is our defense against this evil world. Now, all believers share in a heavenly calling, a.k.a. your invitation to God's kingdom. All believers are invited. All believers should desire a better country. I kid you not. All Christians should desire a better country. Now, some of you may be asking, where are you getting this from? Because I'm looking at these two verses right now and I see nothing that has anything to do with a Christian desiring a better country. But mind you, who's ruling this world now? Angels. Now let's fast forward just for a moment. You don't need to turn there. The reason why we're saying this is because of what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. I'm just going to read it to you. Listen. It says this. And we're going to get to this in some months. But it says, a better country that is a heavenly one. Supposedly, we live in the greatest country in the history of the world. So us Americans should know a thing or two about being part of, not apart from, but part of, being a citizen of, the greatest country in the history of the world. So if this is the greatest country in the history of the world, why in the world would Hebrews tell us that we should desire a better country, one that is heavenly? Why do you think that is? Are you drawing some conclusions on your own? Do you observe what we see going on around us? Are you okay with where we're at? Because I will say this, and there's really two problems. If you're okay with where we're at, or if you're you know, really pushing like, to, to really make the United States of America like, you know, solidify its place 
as the greatest country in the history of the world forever, like for another like, you know, thousand, two thousand, three thousand years, e either way, you're, you're really missing the point. See, the Bible's not telling us that what we have right now is what we need. The Bible's not telling us to persevere or preserve, shall I say, not persevere, but maybe persevere through what we're going through or what we're about ready to go through because none of us really know what's coming. We might have some ideas. It's not asking us to preserve this nation. No. We're being asked to think beyond, to look beyond. Now, see, don't get this wrong. Don't get this twisted. I would never encourage any one of us to ever go against our governing authorities. In fact, the Bible encourages us to obey the governing authorities. I would never encourage any of us to be unpatriotic to our country. I think we should be patriotic to our country. I think we should serve our country in any way, shape, or form that we can. But what I will say is this, it should never be at the expense of our ultimate hope. See, remember, we're holy, right? We're holy brothers. Not because we were born American. We're holy brothers because we have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Which is why in Hebrews, it's telling us, as it says, to desire a better country that is specifically a heavenly one. Brothers and sisters, please, Grip the heavens. Let go of this earth. Grip the heavens with some white knuckled grip. That type of grip that you're not letting go of. But let go of this world. That's what we're being encouraged to do. Church, do you constantly and consistently consider Jesus? Because this is all part of that. If you have to be honest with yourself, and as you look at these verses, would you say that you're consistently in your daily life considering Jesus? Do you consider Jesus consistently? This morning we were encouraged in the one hour, one book. It was brought up that some people are really good on Sundays, but then throughout the rest of the week, maybe not so much. Are we consistent in our consideration of Jesus? Or do you find yourself being a little bit more like me? I'll admit it. I don't think I'm very consistent. If I have to take an honest self-evaluation of myself, I would say I'm self-centered. In fact, I would say I'm more self-centered than Savior-centered. I believe that it is important for us to understand that in order to be Savior-centered, we have to be considerate also of the Holy Spirit and His guiding us. See, let's face it. Consideration doesn't come naturally. Because if it did come naturally, the, the author of Hebrews wouldn't tell us to consider Jesus. If you are good at considering Jesus, it wouldn't say consider Jesus. Jesus. I'm just being real. I think we should all be transparent with one another 
and especially with ourselves. Consideration doesn't come naturally because consideration is deliberate in both its time and its effort. Now, now don't get me wrong. This isn't a beat-up session. No. I am so encouraged by so many of you. When I hear back reports, when you are considerate of other people with your time and with your effort in doing so, Because ultimately, it's not really about the person that you're serving. It's about you doing it because you see Jesus. When we are considerate and we do consider Jesus, we will serve others. We will take the time. We will make the effort to consider Jesus. But there are three simple ways in which I believe that we can do this daily. Just three simple ways, and they all start with P, but it's not one of those payment protection loans or whatever those things were. Just think triple P or PPP. We can do it through prayer. We can do it when we plan, and we can pursue. See, we can pray and go directly to the Lord. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He is the superior priest, therefore he gave us direct access to God. We can pray to him. We can plan with Jesus in mind, but we can also do that through prayer before we do something. We can, in our plans, pray and ask God to honor what it is or bless what it is that he's asking us to do. But we also need to be considerate to pursue all things in our lives with Jesus in mind. There is nothing that we should pursue without him. And we need to keep this in mind. Because it is quite clear that naturally we are not good at pursuing the Lord or even considering the Lord. But as we do this, we need to remember that he is the apostle. Jesus was sent forth by God. That's what apostle means. He is also the high priest. Only he grants us the access to God to begin with. And our confession, our confession that we see here in these verses agrees that Jesus is God in the flesh, flesh, just like Moses and our Olympian Eric Liddell alike, not saying that they're God in the flesh because they're not. But when we think about those two individuals, we need to remember that Jesus consistently organized his life around serving God. I mean, we had two simple examples this morning with Moses and Eric Liddell, but that's really what Jesus did. He was God in the flesh. And it didn't matter what happened to him here on this earth. He consistently reorganized or organized his life around serving God. Jesus was as faithful as Moses. It's just that he was the one that was greater to be faithful. And in summary, we can say it just like this as we put these two first verses together. We could say heavenly perception brings gospel perception to worldly deception. Heavenly perception brings gospel perspective to worldly deception. Because after all, what are we being asked to do? Consider Jesus. Why consider Jesus? Because this world's deception is really good at making us be inward focused. 
We're a little too self-centered and not Savior-centered. But if we think about the things to come, our hope, things that are heavenly, a country that is better, that's heavenly, especially with everything that's negative right now that we see in the news, just remember whatever it is that we hear, remind yourself of a country that's better, that's heavenly. And this will help us counter the worldly deception that we're under. Because remember what the therefore was therefore when we started off with the verse 1. This world is being ruled by angels. And the chief among them is Satan. Again, our main idea, the one sentence that puts these six verses into perspective was this. Jesus is greater than Moses because he serves over the entire or God's entire house. Here in Southwest Florida, we know a thing or two about construction, don't we? I don't know about you guys, but I find myself at my local mechanics shop often with roofing nails, all kinds of stuff in, in my tires, but that's due to all the construction that's going on. Speaking of construction, the leading home manufacturer in Southwest Florida, actually I think in the whole state of Florida is a group called Lennar. I'm just going to use them for an example because they're the largest. It doesn't really matter. I'm sure they all work the same. This is just kind of a general observation of how they construct a home. And basically it works like this. You have Lennar's the company. They're the ones that you actually buy the home from. They may have a few supervisors that work directly for Lennar, but then what they're, what they're going to do is they're going to go out and hire a bunch of subcontractors to do all the plumbing, the electrical, and all the other work. And really what happens is the supervisors that work for Lennar, they keep track of all of the subcontractors. So the subcontractors work indirectly for Lennar, but the supervisors are the ones that work for Lennar, but at the end of the day, the supervisors themselves are not Lennar. They're just one component, just like the subcontractors are one component of what it goes into to build a home. So if Jesus and God's kingdom were Lennar homes, as an example, then Moses would be one of Lennar's supervisors. He would be the one where Jesus and God are building the home, but Moses is the supervisor that's keeping track of what's going on with the subcontractors. See, and we know this because what happened with Moses? He was trusted with the Ten Commandments, wasn't he? So the Lord used him to build his home. And we see this in verses 3 through 6. Moses was a component of God's house of faith. That's an encouragement to us. Whereas Jesus is God's house of faith. Moses is a component. Jesus is the entirety. See, verses 3 through 4, we see the word builder. And this means to prepare or to make ready. Not just to build, create, erect, or construct. It's much more than this. It's to supply. It's to furnish. It's to equip. Jesus built God's house. Moses is but a member of God's house. Moses is merely one stone in the house of God. Just one stone. A very important stone, might I add, but he is a stone. Albert Barnes said it well when he said this. I just want to read this quote to you. He says, since Jesus has more honor than the house of Israel... 
It follows that he is worthy of more honor than Moses, for Moses is a member of the house of Israel. See, when it comes to God's house, not only is Jesus the architect, but he is also the builder. Brothers and sisters, we can be encouraged in all of this. See, like Moses, we are a stone in God's house ourselves. Like God used Moses, he can use us too. Just like God used someone else in your life to share the gospel with you, God can use you in somebody else's life to share the good news with them. See, God uses members of his house. And in verse 6, what does it say? It says, we are his house. Houses frequently used to refer to those who are redeemed. If you have a saving faith in Jesus, if you have repented from your sin and turned to God in belief because of the work of Jesus, you are the redeemed. 1 Peter 2.5, you do not need to go there. I just want to read this verse for you. It says this, as living stones are being built up as, spiritual, as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, it says house or those redeemed know that perseverance is due to God's grace. And that's what we're seeing here. See, Perseverance has everything to do with your salvation. Because you have repented from your sin the first time and turned to God because you understand that only Jesus and his sacrifice can save you, you will persevere to that better country that better country that's a heavenly one, your only hope of a future. Remember that calling. That's why you've been invited. You've received the invitation. Church, not all who claim to be Christians see it like this. Not all churches in our own neighborhood see it like this. See, we believe that once you repent from your sinfulness and turn to God, you're saved. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Nothing can happen to you. You can do nothing to lose your salvation. But there are those who preach a different gospel. They preach a gospel of maintenance. you got to maintain. They want to preach perseverance. They're going to preach maintenance. You need to continually maintain your salvation in order to keep it. Now, we definitely believe that you need to constantly 
get to know the Lord better. We believe that you constantly need to learn how to repent from your sin as it's brought to your attention. But we don't believe that that sin that you repent from is going to prevent you from being saved. Because think about what we just said prior to this and the real encouragement in what we're seeing here. The Lord wants to use us to share His gospel message, His good news about what He did when He came to earth. And we're not very effective in doing so if we're concerned about whether or not we've done enough to maintain our salvation. So as Hallie joins me this morning, in verse 6, we are encouraged to, as it says here, hold fast our confidence. I find the word confidence here to be very interesting for us in, in the day and age that we, we find ourselves in. See, in the Hebrew, this actually, and even in the Greek as it's used here because it's the New Testament, this word confidence actually means and it refers to the freedom of speech. Those free to speak can share the gospel without fear. Those who are free to speak can share the good news without fear. Brothers and sisters, we need to take advantage of this confidence, which we can only do by what it says here. The only true way to take advantage of our freedom to speak on the gospel is to do as it says, by boasting in our hope, boasting in our future. The Bible does not call a building the house of God. The Bible calls God's people the house of God. This building here that we are in this morning is not what's sacred. There is absolutely nothing sacred about this building. Church, you are what is sacred, which is why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross so we can be in a relationship with Him, so we can be confident, so we can have hope in our future with Him. Hope is for our spirit, what air is to our lungs. To this day, I still just do not get it how people can live life knowing that they will one day die. Everybody knows that they're going to die one day, but die without hope. We have hope. And in the text this morning, we're being called to draw upon that confidence that freedom to speak on the gospel, we need to take advantage of that. Because there's one thing that we can say with certainty. Though we may be confident now in our ability to share the gospel, we don't know if we will have the same freedoms tomorrow. Hope is also our desire for a better country. And we're not talking about making America great again. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about keeping our eyes on the prize. 
what we've been invited to, God's kingdom, a heavenly country, our only hope. That's the better country. And as we say all of this, let's put it into this sentence to define everything that we just said. Church, the best is yet to come for those in the house of God. The best is yet to come for those in the house of God. Again, we stated earlier in our first point, or on our main idea that's on your screen now, that Jesus is greater than Moses because he serves God's entire house. But we also said in our first point this morning, this, it's going to be on your screen. Heavenly perception brings gospel perspective to worldly deception. We cannot forget who's ruling this earth present day. Our hope is to be with our true king, our savior for the rest of eternity. And our goal, our job, our mission as believers from now until that time comes is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray for us as a church as we have no idea what the future may bring here on this earth. We have confidence in the glimpse that you've given us in our future to come with you. So allow us to continue to learn how to encourage one another to focus on that. And we know all of this has been made possible because of the work that you've done on the cross. Help us to keep our eye on you, Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Thank Amen. you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.